Hey friends, we're so glad that you've joined us here today. My name's Kevin and I'm one of the pastors here at Friends Church in Orange. And whether you're watching this message online or listening to it in your car or on a run or wherever you are today, it's our hope that the words that are shared, that the message of God that is shared in this message will give you hope, life, and encouragement as you seek to live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of your world. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so by going to our website. We'd love to meet you, we'd love to connect with you, and we'd love to serve you in any way we can. Friends Church, it is good to see you. It is good to be here with you. And do you remember, do you remember getting mail as a kid and being really excited? Do you remember that? Okay, this is my daughter's. Little handwriting from another little kid. Open it up. And what's inside? Hello, my name is Alyssa. I'm your pen pal. How fun is that? So fun. You want to see what I just got in the mail? <laughs> Hello. You've been summoned to the jury. <laughs> this is what we get in the mail as adults. So mail, when you're a kid, is exciting. Mail is an adult. It's a burden. It's a burden. Not so exciting. And you know what I've noticed? I've noticed that it's the same with prayer. When you're a new Christian, prayer is exciting. It's a little intimidating, but once somebody explains to you, like, oh, it's just a conversation between you and God, there's excitement behind it. But then as you uh, continue on in your walk with Jesus, there comes this time where it's like, you're not getting everything you asked for, you're not quite sure if it's worth praying, and um, prayer becomes more like a burden. You know you're supposed to pray, but you're not quite sure how effective it is. And this is something I've noticed uh, pastoring for 20 years. I noticed that when, when somebody first puts their faith into Jesus, they start praying. That's like the first change in their life. They start praying, and it, it seems almost unfair. God gives those people what they ask for right away. And it encourages them to keep praying. And then when you've been following Jesus for a while, it's like all of a sudden, he doesn't give you exactly what you want. Maybe because what you think you want isn't what you actually need. And he doesn't give you what you ask for right away. Maybe because there's bigger things at, at play. And maybe because he knows better. And all that kind of stuff. But this is what I've noticed. You get to a point in your Christian life where you either hit that ceiling of prayer, where it becomes a burden, or you shatter that ceiling and you continue your maturity in your faith. And it is so normal. I think anybody that's following Jesus for a certain amount of time, you, you get to the place where you've got to ask this question. You ask yourself and you ask God, if God is so loving, why is he not listening? If God is so good, why is he not answering? And if prayer doesn't work, then why do I keep praying? And what, what's the point of following Jesus at all? So a lot of you have asked that question and you found a way to rustle it and get past it. Some of you ask yourself that question and you hit that ceiling and you've just kind of found a burden of prayer that you're living with. Some of you are asking that question for the first time and it is so confusing, so very confusing. Now, Jesus, knowing this is a question that we're all gonna ask, he addresses it directly. He addresses it directly in Luke chapter 18 verses one through eight. 
And the way he deals with it is he tells a story, a parable. And so today we're going to try and understand Jesus, understand this story, and break past that burden of prayer and find a, a passion for prayer again. So here we go. Verse one, Jesus told his disciples a parable or a story to show them that they should always pray, not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That's what Jesus says. Then the Lord says, listen to what that unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Okay, this is what I would like to do. I'd like to do this because we are, we are very familiar with how, how our justice system works and our, our part to play in it. But the justice system of first century Israel, very different, very different. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to visualize what that was like 2,000 years ago. And I would like for us together to invite the Holy Spirit in as we try and picture what this scene might look like. Um, I'm going to put in some details for you to visualize. It's not just like I'm trying to be artsy. Uh, it's stuff that has come from my research, details that you might not know because we live 2,000 years after this society. And so what I want to do is I want to pray first. And then after we say amen, I want us to visualize this. Now, if it's helpful for you, you can just keep your eyes closed and let your holy imagination take over and intertwine with the spirit. Or if you'd like to open your eyes, you can do that. I would suggest just kind of keeping a, a soft focus as you open your eyes and, and allow the, the picture to, to come to you, allowing the Holy Spirit to really uh, work with you and work on your heart. So let's pray and then we'll visualize this. Jesus, we open ourselves up. We want, we want to interact with you. That's why we're here today. We want to have a stronger relationship with you. We want to look more like you and treat people like you treat people. And that's beyond us. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the help of the Holy Spirit even to understand you. I mean, part of your story is straightforward, but part of it isn't easy for us. And so we invite the Holy Spirit in to enlighten our hearts and give us insight into what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so I, I want you to picture yourself 2,000 years ago as a money changer who works every day at the city gate. So you wake up every morning, it's the dawn, sun is just rising, you leave your house, there's a chill in the air, and you walk from the, city, the center city to the gates on the outside of the city wall. And as you get closer to your table, you see a group of men and you see a judge on his seat. Court is being held. It's all men, they're being loud, and on the judge's seat is a man that is seated not in judicial robes, but in the robes of a rabbi. 
Because in fact, rabbis are the ones that held court for Israel. So as you get closer, you hear the shouts of the the men, and you realize they're plaintiffs. They're trying to get their case heard because there were no dockets 2,000 years ago. There was no order. It's just the men of families would come to the court held outside at the city gate, and they would shout and try and get the judge's attention. They would jockey for position. It would probably look a lot like the media trying to get the attention of a celebrity or an athlete or a politician. And as you come to your table, you notice one strange thing. There's a woman there. You know her. She's a widow. And all the same, she's raising her voice. She's trying to be heard. She's trying to jockey for position, but she's not getting anywhere. And as the day goes on and the sun rises higher, she's not getting her case heard. And finally, the rabbi stands up. He's done with his civic duty for the day, and he walks towards the temple for his religious duty. The remaining men go on to whatever they're doing that day, and you watch the widow leave and go back to her home. Next day, you wake up. Sun is just rising. You leave your home. You can feel the chill in the air and you go to the city wall, to the city gates where your table is at. Same scene, you see a bunch of men surrounding a judge on his seat. It's a rabbi and you're surprised again. You're surprised to see the same widow shouting for the same plea, trying to jockey for position and getting nowhere. You didn't expect that she would come back, but she came back. And as time went by, the rabbi stood up, walked towards the temple to do his religious duty. And this time, as the Greek would suggest, the woman comes up from behind. She starts trailing him, shouting at him, give me justice against my adversary. She won't leave him alone. She's beating him up with her words. The Greek actually says she's giving him a black eye with her request. But he pushes her off. And to himself, he says, I don't fear God. I don't care what people think. I do what I have to do, which is unsettling to you, but you're also used to the religious leaders of that day. Not every single one of them, but there's plenty of them. They were born into this. They enjoy the power and the prestige, but when it comes to a love for the Lord, that's not their main concern. Justice and compassion is not what they're mainly concerned with. And it it shakes you, but it doesn't surprise you. It's a new day. You get up, go to the city gates. She's there again. She follows him. She is persistent. And finally, he turns to her, says, okay, you've worn me down. I'll give you justice against your adversary. And that's the scene. And I want to ask you, in your heart, with the help of the Holy Spirit, when was the last time you felt like the widow? where you just needed justice and couldn't get it, you felt powerless. How did you feel towards God during that time? When was the last time that you felt like giving up? When were you at the end of your rope? Was it with something at work, at home, some kind of circumstance that was just beyond you, an impossible problem that you just couldn't solve? And how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel inside? And how did that make you view God? Now ask the Holy Spirit, what's the point of this? Why would Jesus 
tell us to keep praying and then tell us this story. What's he saying to you? You're here for a reason today. What is he saying to you? I think we see a summary in verse six through eight of this story. The Lord said, and you can open your eyes, amen. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust says, unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. This is a foriori argument. That's a fun word, foriori. And it, and it basically, it's a persuasive uh, process that the Greeks would use. Hellenistic Greeks mastered this. And it was basically an argument saying, greater than. God is not the unjust judge in this story. God is greater than that judge. And so if God is greater than that judge, then how, how much more is he going to bring justice and quickly? He's not going to act like the unjust judge. He's going to give his people justice and quickly. Can you identify with this? Not just the helplessness, not just the powerlessness, but can you think of a time that you felt hopeless, you felt helpless, and God finally came through after persistent prayer? There's one story in my life that mirrors this almost exactly, almost exactly. Years ago, years ago, I heard the voice of God after praying for so long, wondering if he was actually listening, finally, he spoke. A couple months before then, I found out I had a brain tumor found out I had a brain tumor that was in a tough spot in my brain, would require very risky surgery. I found out that there were no surgeons in this area that could perform the surgery. I found out that there was one surgeon in California that could attempt the surgery. And then I found out that insurance wasn't going to cover it. They weren't pumped on paying a million dollars so that I had a good chance at this thing. So then, I prayed and 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 I prayed. Not only did I pray, I went after the insurance company. I, fe- I read that whole benefit summary, and I found like this little loophole that said, yes, I should be able to, to receive surgery from this one guy. So what did I do? Started calling the first number that they gave. That got me nowhere. I got pushed off. The second number pushed off. Then I found out from that person, is there somebody else that I can talk to? Got that number. And they kept pushing me off, pushing me off, pushing me off. I was so tired. Kept writing appeal letters. Kept calling. Kept searching. Kept trying. Kept praying. And I was exhausted. And then it was time for me to go out on medical leave. And so I preached on this stage. It was the last time I'd be preaching until I went out on medical leave. And I left this building and I was praying. I was praying for this church, for the people of this church, the neighbors, the city. And as I prayed, finally, I heard from God. There hasn't been many times in my life where I've kind of heard that audible voice of God, but this was one of those times. And I simply heard God tell me to call the CEO of a neighboring business. That's weird. That's not what I was asking for, (laughs) but that's what I got. And so like, have you ever tried to understand what God is doing and you just way off, just not even close? So my thought was, okay, that makes sense. Uh, You know, the the church is growing, it's thriving, and we don't have enough parking. I'm sure that's kind of going on right now with, uh, I see the construction out there. So I get you, I feel you. So I'm leaving with the responsibility on my shoulders of what's going to happen. And I thought, I'm going to call the CEO 
asked to use their parking lot, problem solved. Thank you, Lord. And so I do. I call her on Monday, and I say, hey, I'm the pastor right over here. We're having some problems with parking. I'm about to go out on medical leave. Can we use your, your parking lot for parking? And she says, yes. Bing! Got it figured out. Then she goes, hey, if, if you don't mind, if you don't mind, can I ask you what you're going out on for medical leave? And I said, yeah, I have a, a brain tumor. And she goes, oh, my, my husband died of brain cancer. And then she asked me, how's your insurance treating you? And I was like, not good. And she said, who's your insurance company? And I told her. She says, huh, I'm on their board and we have a meeting tonight. She says, I'll give you a call tomorrow. So she called me the next day. She said, it's taken care of. They got you. Why? Why for so long? Why for so long would I pray this? Why did God wait that long? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the reason. I know the result. I know the result. I'll tell you that in a second. But the reason, the best that we can get at, it's very straightforward in verse one. Jesus told this story to show that you should always pray and not give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Don't give up. Keep praying. And here's the result of my persistent prayer, my getting after it over and over. I learned how helpless I was. Over all that time, the result was I learned how helpless I was. I wasn't going to be able to do this on my own. I needed God. And I learned that I need to continue to come to God and ask helplessly. I can't do this. I can't do it on my I need you. And then I also, also learned to ask hopefully. He's able to do this. He isn't, he isn't a corrupt judge. He isn't an unjust judge. He cares. He knows what I'm going through. He cares and he can do something about it. So it might not be in my timing. There might be bigger things at play, but I do know he cares. I do know that he cares. Now, here's the hard part, though. Verse 8a, Jesus says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Now, here's the thing I know pastorally. If you're just barely holding on, and you've been praying and praying and praying, and you're suffering, if I just tell you that, hey, there might be bigger things at play, so buck up, buttercup, <laughs> it's not going to be enough for your soul. But Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time, the greatest storyteller of all time, he does something interesting here. He does something interesting here. In verse 8a, he tells you, the first part of verse 8, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. That word quickly is really bothersome. But then he goes on and he finishes the verse. He says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, here's something about Jesus' parables. Some of them are straightforward, some of them are confusing, but he always, always seems to leave a time bomb, just something that you don't notice at first. You know, you're so focused on this story about a widow and the judge and justice and stuff, and then he just says this thing at the end. He, he just says at the end, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And I remember reading this par parable years ago, 
And all of a sudden, it just went, poof. What is Jesus talking about? Is there something deeper here that Jesus is trying to do? And so what I want to do is I want to take a closer look at this. Let's take a closer look and just ask, okay, in Jesus' original context, with the people that he was talking to, how would they have understood this? Let's look at the different players in the story. So you've got the widow. Who is the widow? The widow originally would have been Israel. And the oppressor would have been Rome. The adversary is Rome. The widow is Israel. Because as he talks to the disciples, they're part of Israel. They have been waiting for so long as they've been oppressed by all these different nations and currently by Rome. And they are barely holding on. And then so who is the judge? In this story, the judge is God. Actually, the, God, the judge is Israel's incorrect view of God. So they've been barely holding on. They've been waiting for God's promises. It's not coming through. And so they've just started to think, well, God's not good. God's not just. God does not come through with his promises. So then what's justice? Justice is God's promises. God's promises of deliverance. And his promise was that he would send a Messiah. He would send the anointed one. He would send the son of man, the savior. So then, what is quickly? When Jesus says, you'll receive justice and quickly, what does he mean? He means that the savior, the Messiah, the anointed one, is standing in front of them right now. It doesn't get any more quickly than that. Soon, months maybe, he'll go to the cross and bring justice on a spiritual level. But before we judge Israel and be like, how could they miss Jesus? This is complex because the Old Testament scriptures describe the Messiah as a conquering king and a suffering servant. Never would anybody see, until we can look back on it, that the Messiah that would come would first come as a suffering servant who would die on the cross to bring justice in the spiritual realm and then would return as a conquering king to set things right, to make things as they should be. So Jesus standing in front of them is saying, you live in the now and the not yet. You live in this tension of the Messiah is here, the kingdom has come near. You have what you need for now, but there is going to be a time, there's going to be a time where the kingdom is established. The kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he's telling them, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't give up, keep praying. And here's the thing, he's telling them not just to keep praying, he's telling them to keep the faith. He's telling them to keep the faith. Verse one, he says to them, Luke says, the reason why Jesus told this story is that we should keep praying and not give up. Our minds, just the way we're wired, because we heard the word praying, we just assume that he's telling us not to give up praying. And he is. But he's also telling us not to give up on faith. You should keep praying and not give up on your faith. Not give up believing that God is good. Not giving up believing that God will come through. Do not give up on your faith, because it's not easy. When Paul proclaims in the end that I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I have kept the faith, that is not a simple thing to do. 
The marathon of faith is not easy. You need to be surrounded by the community of saints to hold you up, to keep you going, and you need to remain in Jesus. I have a friend that that says, the main thing is the remain thing. Jesus left us saying, remain in me and I'll remain in you. How could we possibly remain in Jesus without remaining in prayer? It's our connection to him. And so Jesus now is making a connection between prayer and persevering in our faith. He is saying to us, he is saying to us that persistent prayer powers perseverant faith. Persistent prayer powers persevering faith. Persistent prayer powers persevering faith. You see that connection? Even if I can't say it, you see it? If you want to to persevere in your faith, you've got to be persistent in your prayer life. Only by remaining in Jesus can we remain faithful. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. So then, as you're praying, God may not fix your problem, but he'll empower you to face your problem. He may, he may not end your struggle, but he will empower you to endure your struggle. And what Paul tells us in uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, is that when you, when you persevere through your struggle, when you even rejoice in your struggles, what is built? Your endurance? your character, and your hope, your hope, but you've got to be persistent in prayer to remain hopeful, right? One major Christian theme that pastors like me barely ever speak about, a major Christian tenet that runs throughout the entire Bible from beginning to end, especially in the Old Testament, is this phrase, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Let me join you because I need this for my soul. This is something that I probably haven't preached on enough because I haven't reflected on it enough. And what I want to do is together just look at some scripture that teach us to wait on the Lord. Let's start in Zephaniah. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about the evil people who prosper or don't fret about their their wicked schemes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. But I'm like a green olive tree in the house of the Lord. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and grow weary and young man shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Wait on the Lord. It's not easy to do. It is so difficult. It is so hard. But it's worth it. It is worth it. And he will give you everything you need to endure, both the problem that you face and the faith that he has called you to. 
realize you live in a kingdom that is now and not yet. And that is why Jesus tells us the story of the widow, and he also teaches us to pray a specific way. He teaches us the Lord's Prayer. And isn't it interesting that he teaches us to say to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, now in the kingdom that is now and not yet. May your will be done now and completely soon. Let's stand together and let's recite the Lord's Prayer together. So Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, and now let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Could call the worship team back up. And now, let's sing with gratitude to our Lord.